0: Hey, I want to welcome you to the Engineer Your Success podcast. I am your host, Dr. James Bryant, and I, you know, I have the pleasure of having Mr. Randy Iwasaki here as a guest on today's show. Randy and I go way back. Um, I've known Randy probably for about 15 years, and I've been able to kind of see him as he's continued to accomplish great things in his career. And Randy, I am so thankful for you agreeing to be a guest on the show. Randy, how are you doing, man? I'm doing
1: well, James. It's good to see you. I'm, uh, I retired from the public sector after 30, 38 years and uh, transitioned over to the private sector to a small startup company called Amazon Web Services. So it's, uh, they, they, every day is day one. They, they try to think of themselves or ourselves as a startup company. And so they're constantly trying to reinvent our, ourselves, trying to focus on the right things. We have a number of leadership principles, so it's a it's almost like Caltrans, where you have a vision, you have a mission, and you're you're constantly trying to deliver a program faster, more efficiently, more effectively. I think that's that's one of the, the kind of parallelisms that I see between the public sector and the private sector is, is constantly reinventing ourselves, making sure we're focused on the right things, and so. It's been a whirlwind of uh, almost two years, uh, but I'm doing I'm doing really well. So thanks for asking, James. Well,
0: well, that's good, man. And so, you know, tell the listening audience a little bit more about yourself. We'll include your bio is going to be um, in the show notes. It's going to be there with the write up, but just to give people a flavor in the background of the internationally acclaimed speaker that you are
1: if you're asking how I got started in the, in the public sector business of civil engineering is many, I grew up in the central Valley of California and my father was, um, owned a gas station and repair shop. So we, I I grew up working on cars in the central Valley of California. It gets very cold in the winter. Mm -hmm. gets very hot in the summer. And I remember telling my dad that, you know, it's very cold today, dad. And he would say, you know, civil engineers don't have to work outside. They can work inside in a heated office during the winter. And then during the summers, I would say, God, it's it's hot out here, dad. And he'd say, you know, civil engineers, they can work in the air-conditioned office when it's it's summertime. (laughs) And that was his way of saying, you you can work here at the shop the rest of your life and take over the shop, but there's probably a better place for you. And my uncle was a professor at Colorado State in civil engineering. And we used to visit him every now and again, and he would take me to the, the lab and show me the projects that he was working on. And I thought to myself, my uncle can do it, I can do it. Now he, yeah. was, a, he was a PhD type like you, he was very smart. And so I, I mirrored my career after my uncle. And that's, um, you know, it's one of those early mentors that wasn't trying to be a mentor, but made an impact
0: on me. That's pretty cool, man. I, I never knew that. So when I was growing up in Philadelphia, my father owned a auto body repair shop. And so we used to go over to the shop and help him. Um, you know whether it was sanding the cars, priming the cars, getting them ready to be painted. I think I saw so many cars that I don't really. I'm not a car guy now because I had to work on cars. I think back then there wasn't so much of the joy. I do have fond memories of spending time with my dad, just whether it's masking a car, getting it ready, to, you know, for painting. And just spending that time. But at the time I was thinking I need to go to school for something else because I don't want to do this.
1: Yeah. It's funny how your parents kind of guide you in different ways, maybe not so directly, but indirectly by making you work at jobs that aren't, aren't the, maybe the the best for you, but it teaches you how to work with your hands, Mm -hmm. teaches you the fact that you probably don't want to do that the rest of your life, like all of your parents, you know, I always want to learn how to paint, by the way. I did sand my my car. So my dad, one of his good friends, owned a body shop in in Reedley where I grew mm-hmm. up, and uh, I, he painted my pickup. Uh, it was lacquer, and yeah. so he he primed the the car and then he, the truck, and then he says mm-hmm. it. And I remember sanding with a sanding block with that that uh, wet wet dry sandpaper. Yep, yep. And every time I'd take it into the the auto body shop, he would put his fingers over the metal and say it's not smooth enough. Yep, yep. Not, I couldn't feel any ripples in that paint, but he could, the ripples in that primer. is not smooth enough because you'll see the undulations in the lacquer.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: so, been a lot of time sanding.
0: The, yes. Yes. So, you know, we, we, that's pretty interesting. I never knew that they, that we had that similar connection because we, although we've known each other for years, we've never had that conversation. That's pretty cool. So, okay. You, you go to school, you get your degree in civil engineering. Did you immediately go start working for Caltrans then? so it was eight, it was eight I graduated in nineteen eighty
1: two and it was a recession and my the advisors that I had at Cal Poly said, don't go to work for the public sector. you probably want to work for the private sector okay so because of the recession there weren't very many jobs so I remember going to Caltrans office and science to take the tests and those days okay. you had to take a a written test and then you had to take a verbal test. And to get on a list and and you needed to be in the top three ranks in order to get hired and so i remember i was so excited because i was still working in my dad's shop after i got a degree in civil engineering Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and i got a letter from san francisco district 4 office saying we want to offer you a job and i immediately accepted i was so excited to become a civil engineer after waiting about six to eight months before i could finally start my career and then la district 7 emailed I got a card said, come to district seven. I said, Well, wow, I'd rather work in LA than San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And then I got two other cards, one from San Luis Obispo, district five, and then one from district six, Fresno, where my parents lived. Yeah. Spent five or four years in San Luis Obispo going to Cal Poly. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to live a- at home in Reedley at my, and then go to the district six office in Fresno. Yeah. So I did that for the first couple of years until I bought a house in Fresno but I remember that I couldn't I, I was making more money than I could spend because I was working so such long hours. I was living at home, basically paying my parents a stipend, a small stipend to rent rent a, yeah. a room to help them out. And then my mom had my shirts ironed and my jeans ironed for the, the next week to yeah. work. But I thought I was Warren Buffett. Seriously, I mean eighteen hundred and sixty dollars a month and I thought I was the richest. Person next to Warren Buffett on the planet, because I well, just saving so much money.
0: Yeah, well, it's not so much. It's not how much you make; it's how much you're able to keep, right? And how much you're able to invest. And so, you were in a situation, you know, where you were able to kind of be there with your family. You were able to help them out, and you had all of the the comforts of home. I, that was pretty cool, man. Yeah, meal waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, okay, so you're there. In that district, and you eventually move. You, you go to you go to work for Caltrans in a different district. So I spent.
1: So I went through the Caltrans had has and still has a great rotation program where the, the incoming group, of, at least for the engineers, we get to rotate through construction, design, mm-hmm. and then we have some electives that we can choose. And so I, I ended up rotating through a construction inspection, and then I surveying. I started in surveying, then went to construction, then went to hydraulics, and then did a short stay in traffic, and then ultimately ended up in traffic design. And then when I got registered, they put me as a resident engineer in Visalia and I didn't want to be a resident engineer. So I, I, I complained about it to this. There was only one senior in charge of all the construction for district six Fresno's big district. And it was Bob Waddington. And Bob, Bob said that. You know, in order for me to move up at Caltrans, you needed to make sure you understand how to deal with the front office, your constituents, contractors, mm-hmm. money. You want to make sure you don't break jobs and things like that. And so, yeah, that that you learned as an RE will help you move up. And I said, I don't want to move up at Caltrans. All I want to do is make three thousand dollars a month, and I'm I'm even richer than Warren Buffett. But I ended up going out to construction, which really really taught me a lot about how to manage manage people. Yeah. Both on the private side as well as the Caltrans side. And then deal with contracts, money, and then really personalities and people and from that respect. And one of the last pieces of advice that Bob Whitington gave me when I was headed out to construction was it's okay for a contractor to make money. That's the bid to make money. So in essence, don't don't short shrift the contractor and think that's a big victory, because you might if you put the contractor out of business, especially subs yep. and their DBEs. Pretty soon, you don't have any contractors bidding you work. And you wonder, why where did all the contractors go? Well, they're not bidding you work because you put them out of business or they don't want, they don't want to bid you work anymore. So I thought that was a really good piece of advice from Mr. Wally to actually he moved from Fresno. And now he lives here in Contra Costa County. So oh, cool. I, he and Sherry out for lunch one day. Thank him for being a mentor to me, even though yeah. I didn't want to go and ultimately had to go. I mean, it was a very good career move for me. So, so,
0: wait I, a minute. So, so wait a minute, I just want to make, you, you, you go from, you know, getting $1,400 a month. You're, you're saying all I want to do is to make $3,000 a month. I'm good. So you go from that to being like the director of Caltrans. So t- tell us a little bit more about that journey. And what were some of the success principles that as you look back, you were able to kind of pick up and gleam to help you along your career?
1: I think, first of all, I had great mentors, pretty stubborn. And when I am headed down the wrong path, I don't always admit it. And my mentors would tell me that I'm going the wrong direction, or these are the things that I need to do in order to improve improve myself. And I actually still call Dick Weaver's a good mentor of mine. He lives in Montana. I call him every year, actually more than once a year. We talk and I called Bob Waddington. I met him for lunch. Uh, Bob Kuhlman's another big mentor of mine. I call him every holiday season to talk to him and cool. Patty, and thank you for being a mentor. But I think my career was really directed by the mentors at Caltrans, because one of the problems we had at Caltrans is when governor Brown was the first, was governor a long time ago in his first, uh-huh. first eight years at the end, he laid off a number of, cause of, I would imagine it was a bad budget cycle. She laid off the middle managers and the young people at Caltrans. So when I got there in 83, there was no middle managers. It was either either very old or you're really young. And so the very old, the, the seasoned veterans knew that they had to get the younger group ready to go to take their places. And that's really what I love about Caltrans and what taught me about, in those days, about succession planning, it's important to make sure that you have people that are ready to go and take your place because you never know when you're going to leave and you want to leave that or any organization better than when you found it, yeah. and that's what they really taught me. So, I was sent to to Sacramento in 1990 to start project management with a group, and and we implemented project management. And so we, we developed a, a training center called the Project Management Academy. Got mm-hmm. my manual on project management, and we developed that. And it really, it, we started focusing on project delivery and using project management tools, project controls tools. And it was really, really helpful for me in my career.
2: At Banowitz Marketing, we succeed when you succeed. Build a thriving family business with great marketing that actually works. How? Start with comprehensive marketing direction and a clear action plan then get attentive expert help and choose whether that help comes as done for you services or as done with you guidance visit us at thrivingfamilybusiness.com to get started today
0: okay that is cool man i am you know by the time you and i got together you were already the i think you were already the head of caltrans and you were working on a trb committee with sharp 2
1: I think I was the deputy director in charge of maintenance and operations when we met and I worked on, and I love research. I I love TRB. I, I volunteer my time for TRB because I tell the young people that ask me about why is TRB important to me is because you get on these panels where the topic is, is a passion of yours, but it's also a passion of practically everybody or not, or all the people on that panel. And you learn so much in the interaction as you develop the research results. And it's been a very good part of my career as, as being part of the transportation research board. In those days, the SHARP program, a lot of very old timers, which I am now, I guess. But in those days, I was very young, but they we helped put together that $450 million list of projects that are kind of concepts that we would focus on with that $450 million that would help solve these Near term and long term kind of issues that were plaguing DOTs and delivering. Like we've had making bridges longer lived or making our infrastructure longer lived, deal with congestion, reliability, and then, of course, top priority safety. And then, I think if I remember right, Congress cut the allocation in half, but we still went with the renewal program, which I led for two terms the reliability, capacity, capacity and
0: capacity.
1: safety. Yeah, and safety. A lot lot of great outcomes, but I, I still think, and I'd love to know your, your thoughts on this. I still think the renewal program was the best. I think we had 38 different projects that we delivered, like jointless bridges, composite pavements, things like this that would help further the art of the possible for for transportation people yeah. in the next generation. So I, I think some of those are still, they're still using those tools. Yeah, they are. Proving on those tools.
0: Some of those tools are, are still being used. I know a lot of those things were taken up by the federal Howard administration and Ashto in terms of moving towards implementation. And as I look back on my career, it's really great to be able to see products that I worked on, that I shepherded through the process from the initiation of the research to the completion and helping with implementation, seeing those things actually being used in the field.
1: That is a great feeling when they use the results of the research for actual projects in the field. That that is that is really cool.
0: Yep. So it's it's really cool being able to make that connection. So for some folks that may not be familiar with the transportation arena, we're talking about uh, the Transportation Research Board. Uh, we're talking about the American Association. Of state highway transportation officials. We're talking about the federal highway administration, all of these players in the national, that are involved in national research. What Randy and I are kind of having this discussion in a particular program where Randy and I met was the strategic highway research program too. And we were working on the sharp two renewal focus area. Uh, you know, Randy, you bring back fine memories of the the, the meetings that we've been involved in But, you know, looking at your career, so you left Caltrans, you went to Contra Costa County, now you've left the public sector and you're working in the private sector. Earlier, you talked about that transition, how it reminds you a little bit of Caltrans, but how you're kind of working through every day like a startup. So let's talk about what exactly are you working on these days? What's happening now?
1: So I lead the transportation vertical at Amazon Web Services, and we focus on I mean, anything that moves people, goods, and services on it. So we focus on airports, seaports, transit agencies, parking, DOTs, uh, DOVs, mm-hmm. MPOs and COGS, and toll roads, so and mm-hmm. transit. So that's the eight sub verticals. And we're, we're really hired as business development managers, but we, we focus on, on getting into a- talking to agencies, personnel about modernization of their IT functions. Data storage, data analytics. Okay. And I think the transition period for me was when I was at the Contra Costa Transportation Authority, we always used to compete for USDOT grants. We only had 20 people, but we, we, we thought of ourselves as fighting above our weight, we, mm-hmm. we we'd go toe to toe with just about anybody in the, in the nation to try to go after those precious research grants. And we ended up getting the automated driving system grant and put together a $30 million proposal, but we had to store connected vehicle data. And so autonomous stuff, when I interviewed them out at Gomentum Station, uh, the largest secure autonomous vehicle test bed in the United States, which I founded in probably 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, they said that these vehicles put out about 20 terabytes of data an hour. And so I asked my team, "Which you have two options. Do you want to give up your offices for server racks or would you like to, let's go to the cloud? And so they came back, boss, we're going to go to the cloud. I, I said, well, analyze which is the best cloud. And they came back and said, AWS, Amazon Web Services. So I said, go get the account manager and It was Rob Cassetti. And so Rob came in with Scott Braley and, and we ended up negotiating a contract. And then the team said, hey, Randy's going to retire here pretty soon. And then they asked if I was interested in leaving the transportation vertical, which of course I said, yes, because as you know, and I think you're as well as through the time that we were together at um, working on TRB issues and Sharp Two specifically, you really see how how technology can help leverage and enhance the ability to do things like safety or or throughput. I mean, it's it's amazing the, the amount of leverage power if you have the right technologies that you can accomplish. And I've seen that over my career. So I was really excited to at least compete for, for a job. And then ultimately I was really excited when I got the job.
0: Yeah. That's great, man.
1: And so I think that further that, that there's just really a, a great opportunity to think outside of the box and think about the art of the possible when it comes to safety, for example. I think that I remember back when Secretary Mineta first was appointed back in 2001.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He, he said, safety is my top priority. And I think right around 43,000, there were 43,000 fatalities on our roadways in the United States. I think last year was close to 43,000 fatalities on our roadways in the United States. And that's 20 some, like was 21 years ago. Yeah. And the three E's, while they're they were important engineering, enforcement, and education, I think that the technology leveraging aspect is going to really help us. Drive that fatality rate to zero. And I think working together with three reuse and technology, we'll be able to achieve
0: that goal of nobody dying on our roadways in the United States anymore. Hi, this is James and I want to give you a personal invitation to come to the next success World ramp. These are small group complimentary monthly meetings to help you win at work and at home. Are you interested in setting and achieving goals, in building habits that stick, becoming a more powerful communicator? Listen, you do not have to do this alone. Register for the next success on-ramp today and join other like-minded people who are on the road to achieve success both in business and in life. Use the link in the show notes to grab your spot today. learning to leverage technology to help us achieve our goals in transportation and in life and, and how you know technology can absolutely be leveraged to our benefit.
1: Absolutely. I think that's that's an area that we could do more work with and work on mm-hmm. together. Like TRB has been one of those areas where they they've taken a look at how technology can help. I remember being on one of the a special report uh, for climate change and potential impacts on transportation you look today that report's old now but when I we worked on we talked about it's going to get hotter mm-hmm. it's going to snow less in areas or snow more in areas it'll snow in areas that it didn't snow before because yep. now the lakes aren't frozen yep. over and you're gathering moisture through the lakes through evaporation and now it's snowing in areas so you got to buy snow plows yep it's they're lowering train speeds because of the expansion of the rail, because it's getting really hot. And so I see a lot of uh, the work that we did a long time ago is starting to pay off, and people would look at that and then figure out, okay, and then how do we stop this increase in greenhouse gases? How do, how do we deal with that? Well, it's gonna, part of it's going to be technology. So, so, so
0: how do you see that, you know, or do you have any examples or your thoughts on moving into the future. So 10 years from now, you know, I'm, I'm going to be giving you a call as you're one of my mentors. I'll be like, Randy, I want to thank you for being a mentor, it's, it's really been cool. What's that conversation going to be like in terms of how technology is changing our lives at that time?
1: Well, hopefully it's, it's, it's a positive conversation. Hopefully technology has helped us our, in our daily lives. I think I'll, I'll use automation as a good example. When okay. we started testing self-driving vehicles and we were looking at level five, level four, kind of level three even, we said, oh yeah, we're going to, de- uh, the automobile manufacturers will deliver level four vehicles in X amount of years. Mm-hmm. And we passed that date and they're still not out. Why? Because the environment is more complex. But I think what you're going to see is is as we progress and we start using automation in areas like delivery or in long haul trucking or other areas, commercial areas, you're going to see some great impacts on the ability to deliver goods, the ability to get to goods in underserved areas, the ability to provide mobility options in underserved areas, and I think that's it's going to be a good conversation in ten years. I see, we'll talk a little bit about in ten years probably a reduction in, in, in an increase in safety. I mm-hmm. see more cities are focused on Vision Zero plans. Mm-hmm. Lower speeds, but get people to where they need to go within a reasonable time. Yeah, and not killing people uh, along the way. I, I just, I just see a, a great conversation in ten years about the ability to leverage the technology that's going to mm-hmm. be available then, and it's going to be a good story. What one thing I would add is, if you look look about fourteen years ago, the, the invention of the deployment of the iPhone,
2: mm-hmm.
1: activity in your pocket. So you look at innovation is pretty linear flat over the first since 1800s. We're still cutting ribbons on rail expansion and that's 1800s technology. But you look at that and you look at back 14, 14 years ago, Steve jobs and wherever San Francisco said I'm introducing in You look at the technology, the, the innovation has just skyrocketed. It's gone way up. And I only wish that I was 20 years younger to take part in the next 20 years. leveraging that technology because i think so
0: so do you think that the the exponential growth was a result of the technology enhancements or was that were were the enhancements driven by the demand
1: no i i think that that the technology drove innovation you have connectivity in your pocket so you the tncs wouldn't be around if you had to put a drop a quarter in a machine or make a phone call from a phone booth in order to get Mm a car to come pick you up. I mean, that's, that's just not going to happen. You look at, you look at some of these on-demand ride services, these platforms that are developed. It's, it would be impossible without that connectivity. And so the younger people are using that connectivity to develop things like Airbnb. Mm -hmm. You can go rent a house somewhere for a vacation. You can actually, we're, we're looking at maybe renting out our swimming pools. There's an app where you can route your
0: swimming pool for, wow. for a while. So, ne- I've never heard of that one. That's that's a
1: new one for me, Randy. Now these things, these these things would not be possible without that connectivity, that personal. And, and what
0: I would say is that the connect. I don't know if the companies would have been driven to continue to innovate if there wasn't demand. I'm, I mean, I know they had to see some demand, but demand has to absolutely be there for people to buy the products and use the products to be able to continue to support that innovation. And whether that demand is immediate or five years down the road, you know, that, that company is looking and forecasting, where is that demand
1: going to be? Well, I don't think startups do that. I I think when you think in terms of, I'll use Uber and if my story is correct, hopefully, the two founders of Uber are sitting in Paris, I believe, and they wouldn't, they couldn't catch a cab. And one of them said, wouldn't it be great if only we could hail a cab using our phone? Wouldn't it be great if, so that's a great way to start your conversations about a problem you're solving is, wouldn't it be great if we could, whatever. I think you look at that and it would not have been possible without connectivity, without personal connectivity. Yeah.
0: I, I don't disagree with you. I think you absolutely have to look at what problem that you're solving. And when you're crystal clear on the problem that you're solving. That is definitely, that puts you on the path to continue to create and to innovate and to provide what your customers need and what they want.
1: Yeah, we have a great pro- process here called working back. So we work backwards from the problem. So we really spend a lot of time up front working backwards on defining what the problem is we're really trying to solve. Because many times we try to solve a problem and we get down to the end, it's really not the problem. We wasted all that time. So we spend more time up front working on definition, and then it's easier in some cases to solve the problem. So it's, it, you're actually trying to solve the right problem rather than just figure out guessing what the problem is.
0: Hey, this is James, and I'm here to help you win at work and at home. Let's connect. You can use the link in the show notes to schedule a complimentary session. We're going to walk through the steps that it's going to take for you to start thriving so you can engineer your success and live the life that you love. Come on, sign up today. No, I mean, that that is cool. Uh, Randy, I I really appreciate your time, uh, spending some time catching up and talking to me. Uh, Are there any other parting words or success principles that you can share with our audience? I think
1: if you're a young engineer, I gave a speech the other day for the ASCE region eight mm-hmm. awards banquet in Spokane, Washington. And I do this every now and again, when I'm up there and I ask, cause we're students there, they're sponsoring a number of scholarships. And I ask where are the students sitting or would you please raise your hand? And typically the students are all at one table. Yeah. In this case, they were all in one table and there was a guy to my left and the, not the head table in front of me, but the one next to it on my left, when I was looking out at the audience. I said, I could see one thing for sure here. This guy was late and am I correct? He said, yes, I was, <laughs> I was late to the event. I can tell that because you're not there with your friends. You're actually the smartest or the luckiest guy here. Why? Because everybody at your table are people that are going to hire you one of these days, so you want to pass out your card, you want to get to know, or get their card and get to know them so that there could be intern sh- opportunities and, or ultimately a job opportunity and you've other people in the back students, you need to mingle because these other people tables, these are the people that are going to hire you one of these days. And you don't really think about that. You want to go to a, an event like that. You want to hang out with your friends. yeah. Uh, but you never know when there's a great opportunity and someone can open a door for you that you're sitting next to. And all you did was just get their card and start a relationship. There's a young lady that wrote a book that I met her back in uh, probably 2015 at the ITS World Congress in Bordeaux. And she asked me these kinds of questions. And I said, I said, networking is really important to me. Mentoring is really important to me as well, because I was mentored heavily mentored because I needed a lot of mentoring growing up, but uh, it's, it's important to me. And I spend time doing that. And so she's actually finalizing her book. And there's a quote in there about just that. It's about networking and don't sit in the same place. Don't sit where you feel comfortable. Sit maybe in a, at a function where you don't know anybody at the table and talk about what you do, what your passions are. And you might be surprised that later on, there may be a door that's opened by one of the, one of the people at the table and, or maybe a job offer. And you just, you just never know these things, but try that. I would I tell you, if you're a young person starting out in the industry, try that. It might help you later on in life.
0: No, that is great, man. I, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate that advice. And I'm going to end this podcast episode like I end every episode. And that is many people know what to do. Fewer people know how to do it. And there's a select group of people that actually follow through and do it. Those people are able to execute and live a life of meaning and live out their dreams. Randy Iwasaki, I want to thank you for being part of that select few. Thank you for your time for this interview. Thanks for the invite. Thank you for listening to Engineer Your Success with Dr. James Bryant. Do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. Many people know what to do. Fewer people know how to do it and a small fraction of people actually do it. I believe that you can have success both in business and in life. And it's my passion to guide you on your path to engineering your success. Thanks.